0: us this morning. praise. That's right. He is alive and well and he deserves everything that we are. I like that. I like that. As we continue singing this morning, this is a song that we know so well, but let's sing it as a prayer to the Lord this morning because we do want him to open the eyes of our heart so that we can do what he's called us to do.
1: to see you today in the Lord's house. Please reach in the book rack right there somewhere near you. There's a little black folder somewhere if you can find it. Pull it out, put your name on it if you'd be so kind to give it to somebody sitting near you and uh, let them put their name on it as well. Uh, just a few announcements today. Uh, inside your Sunday courier there is this uh, little announcement about an event that we're having here at the church at the end of the month. and. Uh, we want you to be thinking about that already. Uh, we have what we call Trunk or Treat. That's kind of a little a safe place for people to come and let the kids have a good time up here uh, on the hill. We give them candy. And out in the foyer of the church, on the, uh, that little table out there, there's a, there's a piece of paper that gives you all the details, what kind of candy to bring, what kind of candy not to bring, and so we have, and if you want to participate and bring a car or a truck uh, to distribute the candy, uh, it, there's a place for you to uh, sign up. So please keep that in mind. Also, uh, on Wednesday night, let me uh, throw this out to you uh, the men are meeting we have a men's ministry here at the church, and uh, they're meeting, and they are going through what is called "The Kingdom Man" by Tony Evans. It's good material. Uh, they have like a video session, then they break up into groups and they talk about it. And it's really it's really helpful. And so if you guys haven't participated in that yet, come on out. You can jump in and I think you'll have a good time. It starts at 6.30. Uh, also, there's a ladies' Bible study at 6.30 as well on Wednesday night. So there's a place for everybody right here uh, at the church on Wednesday evening. And I think what it does, it kind of gives you a little lift in the middle of the week. You know, it lifts you up and it gives you enough energy to keep marching through the rest of the week so if you haven't tried it please do. Also uh, on Tuesday evening we have grief share that's for people that are going through grieving loss of a loved one and uh, that's at 6.32 on Tuesday night and then divorce uh, support group that same night so if you know somebody that's that's relative to them uh, please come on out. And uh, take advantage of that because a lot, I think a lot of people are really helped through these uh, sessions. Uh, the, we have good teachers: Al Finney's teaching the grief one, and Dave and Patty Shepley teaching the divorce care one. And uh, they'll give you some good tools. Or maybe you know some people. Of course, this is for people outside the church as well, so they can come in and enjoy this too. So share the word around. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving each week. We appreciate it. Let's thank the Lord now, the person who gave it to us. Okay, Dear Lord, we uh, thank you for making it possible so that we can give for your work. We thank you for providing a job, a method of income that we can have for our family. And we don't take this for granted, Lord. And so we give you all praise and glory for this. And we pray now that as we humbly come into your presence to render back a portion of what you have so generously given to us, that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
0: Him in His presence.
1: Uh, There's something about that song that always touches me and challenges me uh, to surrender my life to the Lord. Thank you very much. Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16, today I'd like to speak to you on the subject of the church. You know, people have all sorts of opinions about churches, don't they? (laughs) Uh, We are good at opinions. What I'd like to share with you this morning is God's opinion about the church. We're going to begin reading in uh, verse number 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, What's the word on the street? You know, the word on the street is always different than the word around the church. Uh, What are people saying about me? So they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. That's the word on the street. They're sharing with each other hey, we really think Jesus is John the Baptist. Nobody Nobody could be like like him and not be John the Baptist Uh, or he's uh, Elijah and then he said to them but who do you say that I am and this is the critical question and and this is what draws us together in the church this morning Uh, it's because of what we believe about who Jesus really is you know we could dismiss Jesus pretty easily as just another moralizer somebody that came with a good code of ethics Uh, a good way to react to uh, people around us, we could dismiss that pretty easily because there have been a lot of people like that. But if we really believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that changes everything about what we believe. And so he asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Simon Peter spoke up as usual. You know, he always loved to, that, to be the first. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is a kind of a revelation. You got help from God the Father on this one. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think that's one of the most popular verses in the New Testament right there, because you know when you begin to read it, you can almost start to quote it, because you've heard it so many times. And he says in verse 19, I will give you the, kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever, and I'd like for you to underline the word whatever, because that's really, really important. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Messiah. Now I've told you before, but I I guess I couldn't tell you enough times, that when you come across the word Christ in the New Testament, always read it Messiah, Messiah. That kind of makes it that kind of makes a better mental picture to connect Jesus with the Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah, and that's really what the word Christ means anyway, because the Greek word is the word Christos, which means anointed one, and the anointed one was the Messiah. So here we come to the church. And let me say this this morning by introduction. Uh, The best things in my life personally have happened in the church. So I have a special affinity and love for the church. When my mother came home one day as a young, she announced to our family that she had found the Lord, one of the first things she said to us is, Johnny, we got to find a good church that preaches the Bible because she knew that the church we were going to didn't fit that category at all. And so my mother went on a, a, a church search, and uh, she went out, and she f- discovered this little church, and she came home, she said, listen, I found the church. And so my dad and my sister Judy and myself, we showed up, and we spent a number of years there in that little church. I can see it this morning in my mind's eye, right next to Langley High School in the Sheridan section of Pittsburgh. It was there at that church, when I was an 11-year-old boy, that I walked down the aisle and wept my way into the Kingdom of God. That night, after I accepted Jesus as my Savior, at the end of the Sunday night service, uh, I floated home. I didn't walk home. I floated home. I didn't hit the ground. And I can see in my mind's eye that little house that we lived there on Oakland Street in the Sheridan section of Pittsburgh. That little old inselbrick house. Now that's an old word, brick. Some of the younger people have to. Ask somebody else really what that means. And uh, there in the living room, I was so excited. I said to my mother, Mother, I feel like I have been washed out on the inside. And she said, You've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So I met Jesus in the church. I, uh, I gave my life to Christ. Christ. I met my wife Joanne in the church when I met her she had her Bible in her hand I had mine in my hand and she still has her Bible in her hand and I have mine in my hand Um, I surrendered my life to preach in the church we were having a youth meeting youth meetings are important it's important to get young people together I'll tell you they need it in every generation We were having a youth meeting at the Southside Baptist Church in Sherman, Texas, and uh, the Lord was calling me to preach, and I didn't know what that involved, and sometimes now I still don't know what that involves, being a preacher. But I knew that I couldn't run from God anymore, and and so I remember I walked down an aisle again. I was good at walking down aisles. Nothing wrong with that. I walked down an aisle again, and I said, Lord, here I am. I'm an 18-year-old kid. I... I'm an I'm a airman in the Air Force, uh, and I have really nothing to give you except myself, and so here goes. And so I gave myself to the Lord to be a preacher in the church. Uh, and then I raised my kids in the church, and uh, I couldn't resist the church. I couldn't resist the church. I just had to be a church. I, I, the church to me was like a magnet it made me want to come and when I was there I wanted to stay and so I have uh, good vibrations about the church and so where did it all begin? it began right here in our text for today first of all I want to share with you the place of this announcement Uh, the word church is mentioned here for the first time it's the Greek word ekklesia which means uh, a called out group of people Called out assembly. Most of the time in the New Testament, almost exclusively, it's translated as assembly. It's a church. Uh, it's called a group of people, and and you can get the picture that there is this mass of people around us, and they are marching as fast as they can to a place that we are all that we all talk about. and No one wants to go. It's a place called hell. The world is marching and running as fast as they can to get away from God and for eternal judgment. And what God does is he looks down in this mass of people and he calls people out. He taps us on the shoulder and uh, we veer away from the crowd. And we were once in this crowd and we veer away from that crowd and we get together with another crowd. It's the crowd that people don't understand in the world, the people that meet together on the Lord's Day in the church. And when we get in that crowd, we feel like, ah, we're home. We're home. This is where I ought to be. This is where I want to be, the church. Well, Jesus made this announcement in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, There are two Caesareas in uh, Israel. One is called Caesarea by the Sea on the Mediterranean, and the other is in the north by Lebanon on the border of Lebanon, up by Mount Hermon. It's called Caesarea Philippi. And it was known as the gateway to the underworld or the gateway to Hades. Hades in the Bible, whenever you read it in your Bible, is is defined this way, and I, I'm going to go slow so if you want to write it down. It's the region of departed spirits or souls of the lost, but, including the blessed dead in periods preceding the ascension of Christ. And you say, well, I was doing good on the first part, but you lost me on the second part. Let me read that one more time for you. Uh, some Some of you got it. Hades is the region of departed spirits or souls of the lost, but including the blessed dead in periods preceding the ascension of Christ. Now, Back in that particular time, they viewed Hades as the dwelling place of the dead. And if you study the Bible all the way to the book of Revelation, you'll find that it's only a temporary place for the dead. Because Revelation chapter 20 verse 13 says this, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades. Hades, there's that word. "...delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works." There's going to be a judgment, the great white-throat judgment of God. And uh, Hades is going to deliver up its captives to stand at that judgment. "...and death and the grave cast, or will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death." And so we're talking about Hades, but it's temporary, The last time we uh, saw Jesus ministering in Matthew 15 and earlier, he was ministering around the the Sea of Galilee. That's where most of his mighty works were done. But now we find him in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And I found that this place is about a 14-hour walk away from the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus could have made this announcement at the Sea of Galilee. He could have founded the church there. But he said, come on, we have to go on a walk, and we're going to walk north for 14 hours to a place called, at that time, Paneus. In this place, there was a spring dedicated to the Greek god Pan, P-A-N. There was also a temple built to Pan at the mouth of the cave, believed to be the birthplace of the great god Pan, the god of nature, This place, Caesarea Philippi, was a meeting place for the worship of false gods. Now, this is so interesting. It's the meeting place of the worship of false gods. In Caesarea Philippi, there was a great temple of white marble built to the godhead of Caesar. Now, Pan, P-A-N, was one of the few gods who could cross into Hades and return to earth. As a result, this place was called the gates of Hades. Jesus made this trip for this purpose. This was an appropriate spot. Right in the face of the devil, Jesus decides to birth the church or to at least prophesy the birth of the church. And so he first of all we find in this passage of scripture, the confession of the church. Jesus said on the street, what are they saying about me? Uh, They say you're John the Baptist. A lot of people thought he was John the Baptist. Herod, remember in Matthew chapter 14, just a few months before had killed John the Baptist. And so probably every day thereafter, Herod was looking over his shoulder wondering if the ghost of John the Baptist was going to come out and torture him. And he thought, Probably Jesus was John the Baptist. Elijah, why did they think he was Elijah? Well, Elijah was a miracle man, and so was Jesus. Jeremiah and other prophets. Uh, Jesus said, who do you think I am? And uh, this is the confession of the church right here. Peter said, this is who we believe you are. We believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the anointed one. Now, this is the second confession of the disciples. This is not the first. In Matthew 14, 33, the scripture says this, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this, is, this I found to be interesting, that six months later, at the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin council sent Jesus to death for making the same confession. They asked Jesus, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And that's all they needed to crucify Christ. They sent Jesus to Hades, to Hades, the place of the dead. And they thought that Hades could hold him. But were they surprised? Someone was talking to Joseph of Arimathea one time about his tomb. And they said, this was such a beautiful, costly, hand-hewn tomb. Why did you give it to someone else to be buried in? It was reported that Joseph of Arimathea said, well, he only needed it for the weekend. Well, Jesus only needed it for the weekend, right? They thought that they had gotten rid of Jesus. They sent him to the place of the dead. Now, this is the question placed before all who hear of Jesus, and it is as we, not he, who are judged by our answer. In fact, we answer this question every day by what we believe and do. If we really believe that Jesus is who he is, who he says he is, it will affect the way we live. Why do we meet in the church this morning? Why do we worship Jesus? This is the reason. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's why. Well, that's the confession of the church at the gates of Hades. Then he talks about the foundation of the church. Let's look further on here. In verse number 18, I say to you that uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here the Bible says that Jesus is the builder and the owner of the church. I will build my church. That's what he says. The church belongs to Christ. He is the architect. He is the builder. He is the perpetual builder in every generation. And so he's addressing Peter right here because remember Peter spoke up. And he said, you are Peter. Now for those of you who like to write in your Bible and I hope you'll all do this one of these days, be a writer in your Bible. Write the word Petros by Peter. Petros. It means a small rock. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you are Petros, a small rock. And then he went further, and uh, many Bible students say that Jesus was making what we call here a play on words. You are Petras, a small rock. And then he says, But on this rock, the word changes, and it is Petra, and it means a large rock, a foundation boulder, a bedrock. Well, Peter himself in first Peter chapter two, verse four and five, says this. Come to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God. Who chose him, and now God is building you as living stones into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priest who offers spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. Peter himself says Christ is the cornerstone, and he's making you and me and Peter a living stone in the church. Now, we believe that Jesus is saying that he's the foundation of the church right here. You hear people debating this all the time, who's the foundation of the church? Well, 1 Corinthians 3:11 is pretty clear. Let's read it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Now that's clear, isn't it? Who is the church founded upon? Who supports the church? Uh, at the very structure, the bottom, the beginning, it's Christ. Jesus in the New Testament is known as the rock in the New Testament. Wise men, remember that little song we used to sing in Sunday school about building your house on the rock? The rains came down, the floods came up, the house on the rock stood firm. Well, in Matthew seven twenty five, the Bible says, The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. Wise men build their houses upon the rock, The church is not built on any human platform. It's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's his church. He's the architect of it. And so he says, Peter, you're a small rock, but upon this rock, Petra, I'm building my church. And then he talks about the future of the church. Uh, All in this verse number 18. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I like this, this part especially because it talks about the future of the church. Uh, Jesus here is making a declaration of war. Now, let me just construct the scene. Here, here is this place that he's standing in, and uh, I think we have a, a, a picture of that right back there. Uh, right here, There's, Jesus is standing right here, And that's the gates of Hades right there, that cave. That's where the god Pan comes back and forth into Hades and out of Hades. And Jesus makes this proclamation, this declaration. The gates of Hades cannot stop the church. Now that's pretty vivid. That's pretty visual. Um, My church is going to wage war against the gates of Hades. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm going to heaven, but my church will be at war in my absence. And I just want to come here right in your face, in the face of the gates of Hades, and make this declaration to you. John 16:7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Uh, Jesus was walking with his disciples, and he was trying to get them to understand that he was leaving, and that that would be a hard thing to understand, wouldn't it, if you were walking with Jesus? Because that would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? To see him in action. To go home after you saw the action and say, hey, we'll get to do that again tomorrow. This is nice. And Jesus is saying, now listen, don't get too accustomed to this because I'm leaving you. It's really for your advantage. And it's for the advantage of the world. Because Jesus was only in one place at one time doing one thing and now his ministry has, is going to explode around the world. He said, greater things than these shall you do because I go to my Father And so he comes right up against the gates of hell here, Hades, and uh, he says, listen, my church is going to be at war against you. We're taking you on. We are not leaving the souls in this world uncontested. We're coming against you. And I like that because a lot of people have the idea that the church is kind of just like hunkered down you know, it's like, you know, we're in our embattlement. <laughs> Bombs are going off and we've, we've got our hand over here. We're going like this. Don't bother me. I don't want to be in the war. That's not the visual picture that this verse typifies. This verse typifies that the church is out there going against the gates of hell. And the gates of hell symbolize the devil evil and everything that is wrong in the world. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the gates of hell cannot stop the church. Now that's inspirational to me. It really is. And that's exactly what's happening around the world today. Mission fields around the world are charging the gates of hell. They are charging Satan. They are charging evil in the world. They are taking the light in the dark places and the darkness is backing off because when the light comes in, evil steps back. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this is what you have in store for you. The church is coming after you. Wow, isn't that inspiring? And then look at what else he does here. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys to the kingdom. You know, keys are for opening the door and closing the door. The keys are used by preaching. What the Lord is saying to Peter here is you're going to be a preacher. That's what you're going to be. You are going to be a preacher. Because what does a preacher do? The preacher unlocks the door so that the Word of God can go forth and change lives. I like uh, uh, Romans ten 14. Let's read this together this morning. How then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, it all starts with a preacher. Now, I I know that there are preachers in the technical sense, and I guess I'm in that category. But everybody in a non-technical sense is a preacher. Every single person who walks in the Spirit, has the love of Jesus in their heart, is a mouthpiece for Christ. And so the Lord is saying to Peter, now here's the key, Peter, go use it. It is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the entrance when people embrace the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That is what brings them into the kingdom of God when they affirm those truths. The salvation message. That people are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that's it. Salvation is something that comes down from heaven. It's not worked up from man. It's a blessing that comes from God. And when we embrace that truth by faith, faith alone, not works, but just faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. And that's the key. And so what happens right here, and I know you're a little bit ahead of me, Peter takes the key, and he puts it in the lock on the day of Pentecost, and he says, hey, this works. This key works. Now follow me. When you... Preach the gospel of Jesus, it works. Because Paul said this, that he, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ where it is the power of God unto salvation. I know that there are people everywhere and, and they say, you know, I'm a Christian and I don't see anything working and usually it's because we're not preaching too much of the gospel. We're just worrying about all the people that aren't hearing the gospel because we're not preaching the gospel. And so what Peter does is he says, hey, I have this key. I think I'll check it out on the day of Pentecost. And so he puts it into the lock, and he turns it, and he preaches the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is alive. And he gets to the end of the sermon, and they said, now what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, hey, this key really works. So then in Acts chapter 8, he went to the Samaritans and he put the key in the lock again and he turned it and it worked there. And, And then he went to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and it worked there. And so Peter's having fun. He's putting the key in the lock and he's preaching. And then he says, okay, here's the keys to the kingdom, go use them. And then look in verse 19, there's another element here, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth. I want you to notice that it is whatever, not whosoever. This is about things, not people, right here. It refers to rites and ceremonies in the church. When he talks about uh, binding uh, and loosing, that means forbidding and allowing, permitting. And so the church is going to go through, uh, in the beginning, a very unstable period in that, remember there's no New Testament like we have. Well, they, did, they couldn't like go to chapter and verse and say, hey, what do we do in the church? And so the Lord is saying to Peter right here, I'm, gonna, I'm going to allow you guys, you apostles, uh, the privilege of showing people what's right and what's wrong in the church And uh, this is like almost something special for you, because they didn't know what Jewish customs they were supposed to was supposed to be forbidden for them or allowed for them, and so these rites uh, they were making their way through uncharted territory. The church would be struggling about these things, and so that's that's a good thing. And so here we have the keys, and here we have the authority uh, to tell the church, hey, listen, this is what we should be doing, and this is what we shouldn't be doing. And now we have the completed revelation of God, and we know what we should be doing, and we know what we shouldn't be doing. Uh, The church is called out. The church is the visible expression of the body of Christ. I like Ephesians 5.25 uh, because it shows to us how much Christ loved the church. Let's read it, please. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Wow. Christ loved the church and he gave himself. He died for the church. That's how husbands are to love their wives. That's heavy, isn't it? Uh, Jesus really loved the church. Uh, The love of Christ is extraordinary for the church, and it's a model for us to use to love our wives. Uh, We are members, when we accept Jesus Christ, we are incorporated into the body of Christ, which is the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or bond or free. We've been all made to drink into one spirit. The moment we embrace Jesus Christ, uh, we are incorporated into the body of Christ, which is the church. Uh, and, and I think God puts a desire in our heart to be in the church, to be a part of the church. The church is his body. Ephesians 5:29, 20, no one hates his own body but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church. Um, we are joined to the body of Christ at salvation. But then the Lord wants us to to become a part of a local church. And almost exclusively, the word ecclesia in the New Testament is used of local churches. Because I know a lot of people cop out and they say, I'm a member of the invisible international church. We don't meet anywhere particularly, but I know I'm a member of it. Uh, the Lord wants us always to be a member uh, of uh, a local congregation because that's where we fit in. That's where he's fit a, placed us to be a part. Uh, he's the head of the church. And uh, the members of the body of Christ are the physical representation of Christ in the world. Now, I know that's a heavy thought. And what does this mean? This means this. We are the hands of Christ We are the feet of Christ. On our faces are the expressions of Christ. In our heart is the kindness of Christ. Through our ears we hear. Through our eyes we see the world. Through the eyes of Christ. And our voice is the voice of Christ in the world. What is Jesus saying to the world? He's saying it through the church. We are His voice. Uh, we echo today what Jesus says. Uh, it's a pretty heavy thing, isn't it? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 7. I love this verse. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. This means when we come into the church, we're living stones, the Bible says. That's what Peter said, living stones. And we, have, we are to, to be living sacrifices as well as living stones. And he gives you a piece of the church and he gives me a piece of the church for each other and for the profit of everybody in the church. And so when a person is saved, he has a part of the church especially for you and he says okay now this belongs to you and this is for you and this is this is for you over here and you take this and and then work at it make it work put some effort into it be willing to sacrifice be willing to sacrifice Uh, because everything in life there has to be sacrifice And then when you do that, it's going to profit everybody. See, if I do what God's called me to do in the church, you get the benefit. And if you do what God's called you to do, I get the benefit. And if we all do what God's called us all to do, we all get the benefit. And it builds up the body of Christ. It really does. Uh, The church is to minister to everyone. We are those living stones. We really are. Uh, In 1981... Herman Ostry and his wife, Donna, bought a farm a half mile outside of Bruno, Nebraska, a small community 60 miles west of Omaha. The property had a creek and came with a barn built in the 1920s. The, the barn floor was always wet and muddy, but uh, then they had a flood in 1988, and the barn ended up about 30 inches uh, deep in water. and that, uh, figuratively speaking, was the last straw. Mr. Ostry needed to move the barn to higher ground. And so what he did is he put out a bid, and when he got the price back, it took away his breath. It was too high. And so he was around the kitchen table one night, and his son was good at numbers, and he was making some calculations, and he counted the individual boards and timbers in the barn, and he estimated the barn's weight the barn was approximately 16,640 pounds. And then he estimated a steel grid that they needed to move the barn, and that would add another 3,000 pounds. And so what they had was about 10 tons on their hand. They figured that it would take 350 people with each person lifting 56 pounds to move the barn. And so the town of Bruno, Nebraska, was planning a centennial celebration in late July of that year. And so Herman and Mike presented their barn-moving idea to the committee, and the committee said, hey, let's do that as a part of our celebration. So on July 30th, 1988, shortly before 11 a.m., a quick test lift was successfully made. Then the local television cameras came and 4,000 people arrived from 11 different states and they watched. And they watched 350 people move the barn 115 feet south and six feet higher up a gentle slope and set it on a new foundation. You know, the reason why people think that something cannot be done is because they know that they can't do it by themselves. But impossible things can be done if we join together in a task, working together. We can not only move barns, and I'll tell you we're not in the barn moving business, but when we work together, we can change the world. We really can when we work together. And so I want to ask you as a church, give your love to the church. Give your hands to the church. Give your feet to the church. And you might say, you know, I'm a little bit tired. That's a good place to be tired. You know that? It's a good place to be tired. Because, you know, you could be giving it somewhere else and you could expend your energy somewhere else and you could do this and you can do that. But your, the Bible says your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so I want to rally you, our church, to a new commitment for the church. Let's just go all out, okay? Let's just not be a spectator. Let's be a participant. Let's get in there, and if we have something to give the church, let's give it with all of our heart. If we can sing, let's sing to the Lord. If we can give, let's give to the Lord. If we can pray, let's do that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the church. It's, uh, it's our home away from home. We spend a lot of time here. But Lord, I think that whenever we look back after the scope of 40 years and we see this life changed and that life changed, uh, it, uh, it all makes sense because you created it. You love it. You established it. You empower it. And so I just pray today that all of us would be willing to go the extra mile. Uh, give ourselves to the ministry of the church that you love so much. So that other people can be one to Christ in the process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song today. And if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, you feel free to do that. If you want to make a decision about the church, you just come forward too as we sing together.
0: At the foot.
1: tell you, let's go out of here today and be the church. Let's be the church, okay? And if you look around the church and you see some things that need to be worked on, you volunteer to work on them, okay? You go to Jim Watts and say, Jim, I'll help you <laughs> do this, whatever you need to do. You just give us your hands, give us your heart, and uh, let's make the church better than it is now, Okay? And because Christ loves the church, and uh, this is where people come to find Christ as their savior. Turn around and shake hands with as many people as you can this morning. God bless you. You're dismissed. On
0: high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you in my life